Good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for joining in, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year to everybody. You know what? We wondered last year, would we get to 2021? And we, we did. We've been in 2021 for 10 days now, and it's my first opportunity to be with you since the turn of the year. We were hoping that when 2021 got here, it's got to be better than 2020. But this last week was a disappointment in our country. And this last week was a reminder that we're still divided and we're still struggling and we're still hurting as a country. And this morning I want us to have a word of prayer for America. But before I do, I want to remind you of something that I actually reminded you of several times last year, that protest is part of our democracy. And by the way, it always has been. From the very beginning of our country until today, one of the expressions of freedom of speech is protest. And I've shared that with you in the past, and especially this last year. But violence is never right. Violence is always wrong. No matter which side of the political opinions you're on. Our country needs healing. And would you join me in prayer? Father, we come to you today. And God, what a year. What a last 12 months. We have been through hurtful, difficult, struggling, angry, frustrated. And we're not on the other side of it, but oh God, we pray for healing for our nation. God, would you show us how to be kind again? Would you show us how to be patient and loving again? Loving toward people who disagree with us and we disagree with. Would you show us how to be Americans again? Father, I pause to say thank you for President Trump and for the four years of his leadership and the blessings and benefits we've experienced. And Father, I say thank you for President-elect Biden and for the blessings and the benefits that we will experience under his leadership. And I pray, Father, that you would help both of them and that you would be with their families. Father, I pray that you would teach us again how to open our ears to hear an opinion different from ours. And to be respectful. toward others who think differently. God, I pray that you would protect us from excess. That you would keep us safe as a nation from extremes that would destroy us. 
And oh God, I pray that we would be one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. Oh God, I pray that you would heal our nation and bring us back together. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's hunting season, and so I want to begin this message with a story about hunting. There were two guys, they were duck hunters, they were great friends, and even though they were great friends with each other, they had totally different personalities. One was an eternal optimist, he just could see the good in everything. He could always see the light in the darkness, and he was just so positive. And the other guy was so negative. It was that he always could see the downside, and he was always depressive and, and negative in his attitudes. And so his friend said to himself, I've got to do something to help my friend my uh, disappointed and dejected friend, I've got to help him see the bright side of life again. So he came up with an idea. And during the off season, he bought a hunting dog. Now, you know that hunting dogs for duck season, their purpose is to, when they shoot the, when the guy shoots the duck, he falls in the water, the dog goes into the water, swims to the duck, brings the duck back. But during the off season, this guy bought a new hunting dog and he trained that dog to walk on water. Not swim, but actually walk on the water. He could hardly wait for duck season to start again and they went and five minutes after they were out there, wouldn't you know, they, they shot a duck and as soon as the duck hit the water, the dog took off and he walked on water all the way to the duck, picked him up, and brought him back. And the optimistic guy who had trained him looked over to his friend and said, what do you think about that? To which his friend said to him, well, all that proves is that you have a dog that doesn't know how to swim. <laughs> have you ever met somebody like this? Have you ever been someone like this? I gotta tell you, one of the things we need to grow in is attitude. And that we need to have that factor, that attitude, a good positive attitude has about life. And that is going to be the emphasis in this series. We're beginning the book of Philippians, and over the course of this year, we're going to go through the book of Philippians together in three different series, and the first series is the attitude factor. God really wants to uplift our life and change our trajectory by changing our attitude. And he can, if we'll let him. And in fact, the Bible says this in Philippians chapter one and verse six, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it all the way to the time that, of Jesus Christ. Meaning this, you and I are a work in progress. We haven't arrived, none of us have. 
All of us are growing, hopefully. We can be if we're willing to because the Holy Spirit's goal is to change us to be just like Jesus Christ. And until that day, we go to be with Jesus or Jesus comes back to get us. Until that day we see him, we are a work in progress. And one of the areas that God is trying to change and build in us is our attitude. We're going to be working on attitude over the next few weeks in this series. And so, let's get started and look, beginning in Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and notice what he says. Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including pastor, the pastors and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, do you notice the word saints? I wanted you to notice it. That's why I had you fill in that in the blank. The word saint is a word in the Old Testament, New Testament, that means someone who has been called out by God and set apart for God and by God. And when the Bible uses this word every time it uses it, he is talking about all Christ followers. He refers to all of us as saints that know Jesus. And in the Old Testament, those who loved God and followed God in anticipation of the coming of the Messiah, and those in the New Testament who know God and love God and follow him because of Jesus Christ. In other words, every single person who knows Jesus as Savior is a saint. We're Christ followers. We're all saints. We're saints. I am Saint Mark. You may have to get used to that maybe, but that's who I am. I am St. Mark, and you are St. You if you know Jesus as your Savior. We're all saints. And so Paul is writing this book to all the saints in a place called Philippi. Did you know that it was never in the Bible ever that saint was used to describe a super Christian? Never, ever. You can't find it one place in the Bible, never, ever. So where did that come from, the super Christian thing? It came hundreds of years after the Bible. It was a notion. It caught on. And it was false. Because the truth is, if you have come to receive Jesus Christ as Savior, you've been set apart by God. You've been called by God. You've been set apart by God. And you are a saint in his eyes. And Paul writes this book to the saints who are in a tiny place, a town, a city called Philippi. It was so far from Jerusalem. How in the world did those people all the way out to Philippi ever hear about Christ? It is a story of pain and heartache and trouble and even brokenheartedness and difficulty, but... Because of the attitude of the Apostle Paul, it turned out to be an amazing story. And that's how we get started in the book of Philippians written to these people in Philippi. So, let's take a look at what happens in the story and what God teaches us through the story. And the very first point is simply this. God oftentimes closes one door because he wants to open a better door. Take a look at the story in Acts chapter 16 and beginning in verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit by, from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Now stop for just a moment. 
In the first mission trip of, of Paul, he went to the Galatia area and he went from one town to another, to another, to another, and he led people to Christ and he planted a church and they were strong and vibrant. Now Paul's in his second mission trip, and on this second mission trip, he goes back to every one of those churches, all those towns. He encourages them. He teaches them more. And then when he has finished that, for he has at this point, he then goes to new areas, wants to go to new areas, and began new churches and share the gospel of Christ. But as he is doing that, he turns to go to Asia, and God says, no. The Holy Spirit says, you cannot keep going. Well, didn't the people in Asia need God? Of course they did. Didn't they need to hear about Jesus? Of course they did. But God said, not now, not at this point. I have something else for you. So when Paul heard the word no, notice what he does. When he came then, came to the border of Mysia, they tried to then enter Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Again, he gets a no. Wait a minute, didn't the people in Bithia, Bithia uh, didn't they need to know Jesus as well? Yes, they did. But God said, it is later. Right now, I have another mission for you. And God stopped him. And then notice what happens. So they passed by Mysia and they went down to Troas. Now, when we're reading the Bible and we come across a passage like this, you know, sometimes we hurry through the passage. We say, you know, this isn't all that interesting. Okay, yeah, all that happened. Now let's get to something more inspiring. But if we do that with this passage, we've made a desperate mistake. Because what happens in this passage may very well be happening in your life right now. You're headed in a direction. You're going in a certain way. And suddenly God puts a closed door in front of you and he opens up another door. And I don't know how many times I have thought to myself, God, I don't understand you. Did you know I can't remember one week in my ministry of all these years that I haven't had somebody, some member of the church, somebody say, I don't understand God. I don't understand what God is doing. It makes no sense to me at all. And you know what? I get it because there are times in which I don't understand him either. I got this plan. Man, I know exactly what to do. And God goes exactly a different direction. Because here is the truth. God closes a door so that he can open a better door. And he may be doing that in your life. Oh, it brings some grief. It brings some pain. It brings confusion. What in the world is God doing? Listen to what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9. In his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. Is it okay to plan? Well, of course it is. We ought to be planning. We ought to be laying out all kinds of plans in our life. A person who doesn't plan huh, suffers because of it. But all the while, we're laying out the plans. We're trying to put all of the plans for our future and the direction that we're going to go together. We've got to keep an open heart. We've got to keep open arms because it may very well be that God has a different plan. And we've got to be willing to let God shift our focus. And that is exactly what, he hap what happens here. What seems hurtful today will make sense tomorrow. Sometimes there is a time of darkness that we have before God before he turns on the light. Don't panic in the darkness. 
This is what we're learning in this passage. Don't panic in the darkness because the light is coming. Listen to what the Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a purpose and a hope. Sometimes we don't feel it when we're in the middle of the shifting that God is bringing into our life. But God is saying to you and me, trust me. I will close some doors because I plan to open others. There is another principle that I want us to see from the story, and it's simply this. Being faithful to God does not eliminate difficulties from coming in our life. So what happens is this. There is Paul. He comes to the end of earth, it felt. He's in uh, Troas, and it is right on the, the shoreline of the short body of water, of ocean. Now what do I do? I have nowhere to go. You told me I can't go to the north, the south. I've come from the, the east. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. And suddenly one night he has a dream and there is a person from Philippi. I don't even know they've ever been to Philippi before, but there is this person from Philippi saying, come over and show us about Jesus. And he knew this was God speaking to his heart. He got on a ship, he and, and Timothy and Silas and got on the ship, went across that body of water, went to Philippi, and now they're in the center of God's will. And you think, if you're in the center of God's will, get ready, man. We're about to have a revival. When he gets to Philippi, there are some people that come to know Christ as Savior. There, there are some people that turn their heart to Jesus, but they don't come by the droves. You would think that they would have, after all this trouble God's been through, to get him in the right place. They'd come by the hundreds, by the thousands, but it wasn't happening. Just some, just some coming. And then there is a young woman who is demon-possessed. And she begins to, to taunt and ridicule, and, and Paul turns around, and he casts that demon out of her. I know today in this culture, we laugh at the whole idea of demon possession, but it's real. And Paul turned and cast out that demon. And now she's whole. She's in her right mind. And you would think that all the people around that saw that would be so happy. They'd be rejoicing, so glad this woman has been freed. But they were furious. They were furious because they were making money off of her. And when she got whole, when she got well, they couldn't make any money off her anymore. So they got so angry. They called the authorities to come. And those authorities beat up Paul and Silas and Timothy to the edge of their life and threw them into prison for nothing. For what? They healed a woman. And they put them in stocks. These stocks, these chains, I'm told, especially in that day, those stocks would have this separation or this, this bar that would go across that would push a guy's legs as far apart, creating agony, and his arms far apart, creating so much pain. You couldn't get comfortable. You are in nothing but sheer pain constantly. All because they follow God. Uh, how, how, what is the saying? When you're in the middle of the will of God, everything just falls into place. Is that, is that the same? Well, sometimes it does. 
But sometimes when you're in the dead center middle of the will of God, everything comes apart. Sometimes God takes us to a place and we're in the middle of his will. We're doing exactly what he's telling us to do. And we begin to have one problem, one trouble after another. Good grief, what in the world is happening? And so many times people begin to think, well, maybe I missed the will of God. Maybe, maybe I've done something wrong and God is punishing me. And, and to be honest with you, when I go through these kinds of times, I always go to God. God, is there something that I've done that I need to repent of and get right whatever it is I want to get right now? I hate to admit this, but earlier in my life, I, I'd be in some situation and I'd begin to repent of things I hadn't even done, just in case. You know, just, maybe I was asleep when it happened. I, I wouldn't make sure I get everything covered. I got to tell you, there are many times in which I've been in the very middle of the will of God and things began to fall apart and trouble began to happen and it wasn't because I'd done something wrong. It's because I'd done it right. And God had wanted me to have this experience and go through this time and to learn and grow through it. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and we know that God causes everything to work together for good to those who love God and those who are the called according to his purpose. Even times in which we do things wrong and we're being disciplined by God. When we repent, God will turn that back around for us to be our blessing. And in those times that we have not done anything wrong, but we're going through hurt and heartache, God will use this time and turn it around for our blessing. For everyone who loves God and is the called according to his purpose. And I'm going to tell you that, that means me too. I love God. I don't understand him many times. I, I'm confused about him sometimes, but I love him. I cannot not love him. And I've been called. And I know this, no matter what happens in my life, God will turn it. God will turn it around for good in my life. And I know that to be the case. And the same is true for you. Being faithful to God does not eliminate difficulties. It doesn't eliminate hard times. Second of all, I want you to notice a positive attitude in hard times can result in a powerful impact when God is involved. So what's going on in the story? Here is Paul and Timothy and Silas, they're beaten to the edge of their life. They're thrown into prison in stocks. They're in constant pain. So what do they do? Well, in verse 25, and about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. I just got to be honest with you. The truth is, I'm not sure that would have been me. Now, if I were sitting beside Paul, yeah, okay, maybe. But on my own, I'm not sure. But they're praising God. And they're singing praises and they're thanking God for what they're experiencing. Because they know they are fully in the hand of God. And the prisoners were listening. You can imagine these prisoners. What, who are these people? What do these people have I don't have? 
And then what happens? Suddenly there was a violent earthquake and the foundations of the prison were shaken. And at once the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. This is the definition of a miracle. At just the right moment, at just the right time, God intervenes and he changes the situation when it's the right moment. And it's exactly what happens here. So what happens next? Verse 27, the jailer woke up. You can imagine there's an earthquake. He wakes up. And when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. And this was the occupational hazard of a jailer. In that day, you lose a prisoner, you lose your life. You better be very concerned about your job. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I don't think I would ever have volunteered for that career. I'd be a farmer. I I could own a business or work for somebody or even be a pastor, for crying out loud, but not a jailer. And he thought, it's all over. The doors are open. The chains are broken off. They're all gone. But before he could take his own life, Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. You see, he's not meaning, okay, Paul and Silas and Timothy were here. He's saying we're all here. You haven't lost one prisoner. That's the shocker of the story. Here, the doors are open. The chains are off. They could all leave, and they don't. The other prisoners don't leave. And I have a feeling they just wanted to see how this was all going to end up. This was the most bizarre moment of their life. We're not leaving now. And what happens next? It says, the jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and he asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Here's what he was really asking. How can I have what you have? I've never seen anything like this before. And I'm asking you the question today. Do you have something that a person that does not know Jesus would want? Are you showing something in your life that is so different, that an attitude that is so different and so pure, even in the midst of hard times and being beaten up with life, and in chains in life. And when other people see you, they they watch how you respond. They, They watch how you act. I want what you have. Or do other people watch your life and they see you go through disappointments and difficulties and struggles and they think to themselves, I don't want anything that you got. What turned the whole thing around was attitude that was based on the truth. There's a God in heaven and he's on his throne. There are five key truths that I want you to grab hold of this morning 
about developing a positive attitude in hard times. The first one is simply this, believe what, that God loves you and will meet your need. Now here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. I'm gonna ask you to respond out loud. I mean seriously out loud. I'm asking you, I'm gonna ask you some questions and I'm gonna ask you to respond so that you hear yourself say it. God hears it, other people around you hear it and in your living room today, that other people hear you in, the li in your living room respond to this. I'm gonna ask you to say it out loud. It's uncomfortable, but do it anyway if you don't mind. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you to respond out loud. Yes or no? And here's the first question. Do you believe that God loves you? I'm glad you do. Jeremiah 31.3 says, I have loved you. It's God talking. I've loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I've drawn you to myself. For God so loved the world, he so loved you, that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him would not perish but have eternal life. The greatest demonstration that God loves you both now and forever is in his son to take your place on the cross. The greatest expression of love. Yes, I say it too. I know God loves me. Question number two is this. Do you believe that God knows your need? Okay, number three, do you believe that God is so powerful that he can change your situation? Yes. Okay, here's the last one. Do you believe that God loves you so much, knows your need, has the power to change your situation and will change your situation with perfect timing and he knows it's the right moment and then he will deliver to you. Do you believe this? Yes. Okay. then act like it. Then act like it. Instead of whining and crying and oh, poor me, and the world's all come to an end, You already know God loves you. You already know God knows your need. You already know he has the power to alter it. And you already know that at the right timing, that God will turn this around in your life. So act like it. We are not robots, we are flesh and blood, and when we experience hurt and heartache and disappointment, it affects us. We hurt, we have struggle, we have difficulty, we gotta get on the other side of it, but we've gotta get on the other side of it because here is the truth we know. God loves me, he knows my need. He can deliver me and he will. And now I'm going to act like I know to be the truth. I wish I would have put this in your notes so much, but I didn't. So write it down if you want to. Trouble is inevitable, but misery is optional. You're going to have trouble. If you don't have it now, get ready. It's coming tomorrow. Trouble is inevitable. But misery is optional. You don't have to be in misery. Because of the very thing we just talked about. The second thing is this. Get in control of your thinking. Growth is not automatic. It, it doesn't happen passively. Change is a matter of choice. And it begins with right thinking. 
Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. What we allow our minds to dwell on actually begins to control and change us, either for good or for our harm. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 and 23, throw off your former way of life, which is rotten through and through, full of lust and deception. Instead, there must be a spiritual renewal of your thoughts and your attitudes. Did you know that verse was in the Bible? And Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do we become transformed? How do we clean up our thoughts? We begin to think truth instead of lie. We begin to think what the Bible tells us, what God tells us in his word, instead of what the circumstances are saying to us. And the more we bring the Bible, the truth of God's word, the more we let truth speak to our heart, the more it changes us. Third, use smaller problems as a way to get you ready for bigger ones. Those flat tires, those scheduled changes that happen into you. Use the small things to get you ready for the big things so that when the small things happen, instead of you falling apart, you live in in victory. You think right thoughts. You have right actions in the small things because big things are coming. Bigger things are coming. You got to exercise that muscle of faith and trust and looking to God and thinking right to get ready for those big moments. The fourth is this allow your mistakes to become your friends. Guess what? You're going to mess up. We try hard. We try to do our best. We pray. We want to seek the will of God. We want to act correctly. But in the midst of it, we still make mistakes. When you mess up, don't go in depression. Don't go into depression when you mess up. Learn from it. Keep your composure. Take a careful look at how to do it better and then learn from it. You screw up. You mess up. Welcome to the human race. Instead of falling apart, instead of replaying a a zillion times, Learn from it and move on. Treat failure as a step towards success and move on. And here's the fifth one. It's this one. Allow God to fill your heart with peace. Allow, allow. It enforces peace on you. Allow God to fill your heart with peace and wait for him to do the what and the when that only God can do. There was a woman who was 40 years old and, oh, she had so many heart problems and she needed to have open heart surgery. There are some of you that are listening to me today on both campuses and and online and, and you have had open heart surgery before. You know exactly what I'm talking about. She had open heart surgery. It It's done so often now, it doesn't seem that big a deal, I guess, today. Now, I I have a doctorate in theology, not medicines, so I'm going to try to explain what happens here, and I might mess up something along the way, but here's the idea. This woman had open-heart surgery, and what the doctor did, the surgeon did, is that he opened up her chest. He then disconnected the main artery that goes into the heart, 
puts blood into the heart, he disconnected it, he connected it to a motor, an apparatus that pumps instead of your heart, and he connects what comes out of your heart to feed your body to the other side of it, and that blood keeps flowing while he now operates on your heart. <laughs> Amazing. So the operation was done, it was a total success, and now he began to unplug from the machine, put it back in the heart, and what happens is, as soon as the blood enters the heart, it wakes the heart up. But it didn't for this woman. It didn't wake up her heart. So there are some drugs that he uses and that are available, and it was injected, no effect. More drugs injected, no effect, no effect. Everything he did, he even put his hand in there and massaged that heart to try to get it going again, and nothing worked. And in calm panic, he leaned down and whispered into this woman's ear, Mary, this is the doctor. I need you to tell your heart to start beating again. That sounds crazy. Four or five seconds later, this is a true story. Four or five seconds later, her heart began to beat again. She never remembered that happening, has no idea. But the only explanation is she told her heart to start beating again. And I want you to listen to me. You've got to reach down into your heart and tell your heart that it's got to start beating again. I know you're going through hard times. I know it's painful. I know it's difficult. I know that, that all the things that you had planned are gone. I know that you are going through such pain. But you can't live here. You can't stop with that. You can't let that stop your life. You're not a robot. You got feelings. But you've got to tell your heart it's okay. It's time to start beating again. God's not finished with you. Your life is not done. God's going to use you. You have no idea all that God has planned for you, even greater than before. You've got to yield yourself to God. I'm choosing to believe truth instead of my circumstance. Let's pray together. Father, I pray you'd move in hearts today. I pray you'd move in lives today on both campuses on the, uh, that are watching online today. And I ask, Father, that you would touch hearts, that you would touch minds to begin to think rightly again, to begin to think you again, and to be willing to start beating again, and to be used by God and blessed. And, oh, God, put a fire in our hearts as you put truth in our hearts that we choose to believe you, not our circumstances, and let you use us and be powerful in us. I pray.
And Father, I pray for those who are watching online and on both campuses that have not given their heart to Christ, not ever accepted Jesus, don't know this power that can be resident in them. Oh, I pray, God, that today would be the day of salvation, that they'd give their heart to Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.